Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we thank you um, for your goodness, God, and we thank you uh, for offering us so much, Lord. I pray today as we uh, remember and we celebrate the work that you have done in this church, uh, in your church, across this world for the last uh, 500 years, we pray, God, that you would help us to better understand your heart for us, your love for us, and how you are leading us uh, to grow and to change. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us for worship today. If we haven't met, I'm Pastor Andrew, one of the pastors here. Uh, today is Reformation Sunday, which is kind of a big deal in the Lutheran Church. Uh, we typically start with a mighty fortress, a hymn that Martin Luther himself wrote, because uh, it is a really good theological meat and potato sort of hymn to start a service with. So if you have to get a dictionary nowadays to look up some of those words and figure out what it is you're singing, I would actually encourage you to do that. Um, there's some really good stuff in there. And so uh, that's one of the things we like to do on Reformation Sunday is sing that song. And today uh, we're going to have a little brief history lesson, I think, as we get into it uh, and remind ourselves what happened in the Reformation and why. But really, how does that influence and impact our lives today? What principles from then are still relevant for us as God's people and God's church today? So uh, one of the things we've been doing the last five weeks was this series called Anxious for Nothing. And I just wanted to recap that a little bit because that's a, it's an ongoing struggle with our culture. It'll be an ongoing struggle for many of us. And I want us to keep these things kind of at the front of our mind as we get into the uh, Thanksgiving and holiday season here too. And so uh, with Anxious for Nothing, we talked about these main five things. We talked about rejoicing, why it's important for us to rejoice uh, always, not just when we feel like it or not just when things are going well, but rejoicing and choosing to stop and remember what we have to, to rejoice in and be thankful for is actually one of the best things in our lives that can combat anxiety because it takes the focus off of our problem and it puts the focus back on what God has done for us. But then week two, we talked about gentleness, how we as God's people have an opportunity to uh, respond to the world differently rather than in anger or reactivity or aggression. When things uh, get difficult for us, when we feel fear and anxiety, we can be gentle. We can be the people of peace in a community or in a situation. Uh, and remember to show God's love in the midst of even some of the most trying times. The third week we talked about prayer and how uh, we really can take everything to the Lord in prayer. Uh, that is another really practical thing to work on in your own faith walk, uh, in your own life, in your faith in Jesus Christ, is prayer. Because he listens, he hears, and just voicing those things on our hearts and our minds to God is therapeutic, let me tell you. Um, and we're not just doing that to feel good. We're doing it because we believe God can do something with our fears and our anxieties. God can do something with those prayers and petitions and thanksgiving that we take to him in prayer. The fourth week, we talked about the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Friends, this is God's presence breaking into your life, into your situation, and giving you peace. Even though it doesn't make sense all the time, even though you don't even know where that peace maybe came from, God can break into the midst of your, your storms that you're in, your anxiety, your fears, or any other life circumstance, and he can give you that experience of peace. And then the last week, we talked about thinking about godly things, kind of like retraining our minds to think and dwell on the things that are good and holy and pleasing to God rather than the things that pull us down. Uh, and I hope this series has been practical for you. I hope it's helped you to work on some of those things in your own lives. Uh, maybe you have big problems with that, maybe just little problems with fear and anxiety. Uh, 
But man, I continue to ask for feedback. If, if things have been stirred up over this last five weeks and you're like, hey, uh, we need to talk more about this or this, uh, this is going on in our world. How do we as the Christian church, uh, how do we in Story City as Christians engage with this? Please let us know at the church. We would love to dig into some of these things more through preaching or Bible study down the road and into the new year. So today we're talking about the Reformation Sunday. I got my red tie on. I got my token red today. And uh, the Reformation, what was the Reformation? Here's your little history lesson. Uh, the Reformation was the single most sweeping and widespread course correction for the Christian church since Christianity became legal in the 300s. So Christianity became legal and the church was established and what we came to know as the Roman Catholic Church was established out of that. Now there are some Eastern Orthodox things that were detached from that, but in terms of the Western world, uh, Asia Minor and Europe and sweeping across the globe to the West, the Roman Catholic Church was it. So the Reformation at its heart was a return to the Bible. It was a return to the scriptures. It was a return to the core theology and practice of what it means to be the church and what it means to be a Christian, what the church was teaching about things like the sacraments and the doctrine of salvation, what one must do to be saved and be, to be made right with God. Now, many things in the church, uh, being the Roman Catholic Church at the time, they were very far from God's word. There were many practices and ideologies that seeped in that were not supported by or found in the Bible, in God's words. And so Martin Luther and many others, it wasn't just Martin Luther, he was one of the main catalysts, Martin Luther and many others, they set out into the season of writing and studying and learning, studying God's word for themselves and encouraging other people to do so. One of the huge things that came out of the Reformation was the work of translating the scriptures from Latin into German and other local languages. People had the Bible in their hands for the first time and could read it for themselves. That's one of those things we take for granted today in many different ways. You can find a translation that works for you because there's hundreds of English translations available on your phone if you want it. For them, they didn't have it in their hands. They only had what the priest said on Sunday morning and what they could memorize in their Christian education. So this whole movement started and Martin Luther and many others uh, started these debates and these conversations, many of them with the church itself, with the leaders of the church. Uh, and they did so in an effort to get the church to reform. Reformation, the root word is reform. They wanted the church to reform or reorient itself around the scriptures, around God's word, around this foundation that the church had been built on for 1,500 years. And as you probably know, that didn't go too well for them, did it? The church didn't reform. It fractured. It splintered. It split. And instead of overhauling the Roman Catholic Church, it led to a number of other church groups, or, or what we now today would call denominations. Uh, all of the Baptists or Anabaptists have their roots in that time. Uh, the Lutheran Church has its roots in that time. And then many others in the coming 50 to 100 years as well. Now, Martin Luther himself never wanted to break off from the Catholic Church. That wasn't his goal. Writings tell us that he cared deeply for the church and that it would actually look more like God's teaching and less like it. He wanted the church to change and to get back to its roots, right? He didn't want to break off and start a new thing. And he wanted to see people change as they themselves encountered the love and the truth and the good news of Jesus Christ as they themselves began to study the scriptures. Now that spirit of reformation uh, often lives on in our churches today. 
As Christians who study and embrace God's word, we aim to bring some sort of accountability and course corrections back because if you are anything like me, times in your life you go astray. There, there are seasons where you're wandering, and, and as a church we can wander, as a denomination you can wander away from God, and we need this accountability and this course correction. So in many ways, the spirit of reformation lives on. Now, aside from this being a historical event, what principles of the Reformation are relevant for you and me today on this Reformation Sunday? And one big thing that I think kind of encompasses the rest of this sermon is this, that God cares for his church and his children. He cares for and he cares about. He not only cares about you with his love and who he is, he cares for us and that he is actively caring for us as any one of us would care for our neighbor or our family. God cares about his church and his children so much that he doesn't leave us where he finds us, but he encourages us, he invites us, he compels us to grow and to thrive in relationship with him. And so what are some ways that God shows his love to his church? Now, I didn't set out on this being like a Lutheran doctrine type of message, but it turned into one, so buckle up. One of the ways that God shows us his love for his church is this. He gives us his law. And most of us don't like the law, right? Like, many of us view that as something that confines us or hinders our freedom, but that's not the truth. What is the law? Jesus sums it up really well with this teacher of the law in our gospel passage that we heard earlier from Luke 12. So I'm going to read that again for us. On one occasion, the expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus sends the question back to him. What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? So the guy, he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Pretty simple interaction. And then Jesus goes on to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we learn what that looks like when it's put into action through that parable. Uh, but here is essentially a teaching, a summary of the Ten Commandments and the Jewish teachings of the law that we find today in our Old Testament. Love God and love others. All of the Ten Commandments, all of the Levitical laws and everything have to do with our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. In the world around us. And there's a lot of detail in the scriptures that we could dig into right now. We're not going to uh, on how to do that. And there's a lot of details in the scriptures about how we actually fall short from doing that really well. So when it boils down to us today, God still gives us his law. He gives us the law and he makes a whole lot of things abundantly clear so that we can't claim that they aren't clear. He takes a lot of things out of the gray area and moves it into the clear truth area and here's three reasons that God gives us the law. First of all, so that we can know what is evil and control our own violent tendencies. How many of you have violent tendencies? No, don't raise your hand. Um, I do. Yeah, and we got an honest, honest boy up here. Man, sometimes we need a check and a balance in our own lives on our own behavior. And knowing and studying God's word and his law, uh, even the Ten Commandments, as basic as that, gives us that check, right? So he gives us the law so that we can know what is evil and what is going to sort of fracture and splinter this life that he has created us for 
and that he calls us to in Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. The second thing, he gives us the law so that we can look at it as if in a mirror and see ourselves. Because the law really reads us just as much as we read and study the law. When we study God's law, we see all of the ways that we probably and assuredly do not measure up to that. So we see our need for something, right? We see our need for a fix. We see our need for a forgiveness, something that we can't earn or merit. And then the third reason that we have the law is that God gives us the law because it teaches Christians what we should and should not do to live according to the life in Jesus Christ. So similar to the first point, now we're assuming we're following Jesus and we want to live a life of faith, and God's law still instructs us on what is going to benefit that life of faith we want to live and that relationship with God, and it's going to instruct us on many things that are going to break or hinder or put walls up in that relationship that we have with God. And the power to live according to that law, again, it comes from the good news, it comes from the gospel, which we'll talk about here in a minute. So the law being the natural law, the Ten Commandments, the, the, this law that God wired into creation, this law that God uh, impressed on his people in the Old Testament to live according to his ways, it is something that is still relevant, it should still be learned, it should still be taught, it should still be followed, because it shows God's intentions, God's love, God's heart, for how we can live a good and holy and pleasing life in his eyes rather than in the eyes of the world. And we can do that when we have hope. We can do that when we have the hope of the gospel and the good news. So God gives us his law as an act of love, because God loves us and cares about his church and his people. God also gives us the hope of the gospel as an act of love, because God, again, doesn't leave us where he finds us. So what is the gospel? The gospel is that when we look in, in the law and we see our face reflected in it and we find all the ways that we can't measure, measure up to God's holiness and goodness, we find that Jesus saves us from that which we cannot save ourselves. That is our sin. And the gospel is summed up really well in John 3.16, which many of you know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loves us so much that when we follow Jesus, that, that love changes us for the better. It doesn't change us for the worse. It doesn't make you into a boring person or something like that, and all these weird things we think about following Jesus. No, it changes us for the better. It changes us in ways we can't even comprehend until we yield to God working in our lives in that way. Through knowing and following his life revealed in the law, and through the freedom that the gospel brings, knowing that our sins are paid for, and they are forgiven, and they don't have power over us anymore, we are children of God. And so there's a lot of hope. So God's law and God's gospel, it changes us, or it's supposed to. And if we are welcoming of God's work in our lives, and aware of that, and open to that, it will. That's a promise. So what else does God do to instruct us, to show his love for us? Another part of the work of God um, in our lives to show us his love, and, and to reform us in view of his love and his mercy, comes from our Romans passage. And so I'm going to read part of that again for you this morning. Romans 12, 1 through 2 to start. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, not in view of our mercy, in view of God's mercy, God's truth, God's reality, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this is the part of the the, the change that God calls us to. It's really important to realize. Rather than conforming to what is not of God, the patterns of the world, which that's by, by default, that's kind of what we conform to, if we're honest. We conform to the patterns of this world, but rather than doing that, we are called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now, this is the work of growing in faith. This is the work of studying God's word, cultivating, cultivating our prayer lives, uh, learning to give our burdens and our fears and anxieties over to the Lord. This is a lot like what we talked about in our last series. It's recognizing that God is the one who takes care of these things. God is the provider. God is the one, the presence in our lives uh, when things are not going well and when things are. So this is the work of growing in faith, studying God's word, cultivating our prayer lives, and giving those fears and burdens and anxieties over to God. It is also the work of recognizing that we do have sin in our lives and embracing the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus that we find through the cross and his resurrection. So Romans says that then, when our lives, our minds are being renewed, when our minds are being renewed, then what? Then we will be able to test and discern God's will. And this is important too, because there's a whole lot of people in our world, and even in our churches, that want to know what God is up to, but they don't want to be changed, and they don't want their minds to be renewed. And so if we want to know what God is up to in our lives and in the worlds and in our neighborhoods and in our churches, if we want to see and experience his power and goodness, but we don't want any part of being changed or renewed by his love, we're going to have a really hard time understanding what God is up to in this world. And so we want our minds to be transformed and renewed. So change is needed, and that change is a renewal of our minds. What else does Romans tell us? So I'm going to continue with verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment and according with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. This is called humility. Verse 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ... We, though many people, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. This shows us the value not just of our own gifts and wirings, but the gifts of everyone and the people of God in the church. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, Give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So this change and this reforming that comes as God renews our minds, it opens us up to an awareness of what God has created us for and called us to do. It helps us to see our own gifts, our own wiring. Like we're having this workshop in a couple weeks for that sake, so that we can help and encourage you to know how God has wired you and what gifts and and tools that he's giving you for the sake of the kingdom of God, 
not just for the sake of yourself. And as we grow, we use those gifts for the encouragement and the work of the church and the kingdom of God. So the point is this. God cares about us, and his caring for us through transforming our minds and giving us this renewal and this hope of the gospel and the law and everything that we've talked about, God's caring about us and his caring for us is going to lead us somewhere different and new. Now, it's not going to lead us somewhere that Jesus doesn't go. And it's not going to lead us to set ourselves up in conflict with God's word as what had happened with the church 500 plus years ago. It's not going to lead us to compromise on God's goodness or his faithfulness or his love. It's not going to lead us to compromise on his word. God's not going to lead us through this renewing process into some sort of vague, gray area humanism and a challenge and quest of self-betterment. God's love for us, you know where it's going to lead us? It's going to lead us right here, to the cross. Where our sins die. Where our sins are forgiven. And then it's going to lead us from there to the empty tomb and the resurrection where we experience new birth through the waters of baptism. And then it's going to lead us to a new life in Christ. Not the same life, not the old life, not the broken life, but a new life. That's where God's love is going to lead you when you let Jesus lead. And that means that God's love is going to change us. It's going to change me. It's going to change you. And sometimes that change is going to happen gradually over many years. Sometimes it's going to happen a whole lot in a really short amount of time. And maybe we've all had seasons like that. And we're going to be changed more and more into humans, a humanity that embody and resemble Jesus Christ himself. His love, his grace, his wisdom, his compassion, and the fervor that he has for his heavenly father. So given that God cares about us and he cares for us, and given that God's love changes us into Jesus' likeness, we must realize and accept that God is always working a reformation in you, in me, and in us. And that means there's going to be seasons in our lives and in our church life together where things need to be changed and pruned and corrected and redeemed. And until Jesus returns, the body of Christ is going to have seasons like that because we're, the, we're humans. The body of Christ is made up of people, right? And we're always going to have stumbling blocks and dis disagreements, and we're always going to have a tendency to start conforming to the patterns of this world rather than this renewing and transforming that Romans speaks of. This is just being part of human. So it is what it is for now. But I believe that given what God has done here so far this year, and in our 125th celebration last month at Emmanuel, and in our council's visioning work, I feel like we're in a season culturally and as a church of some type of reformation that God is working. Like the reformers, there are practices and there are patterns in our world and even in churches in our world uh, that have become normal or accepted in Christian, Christianity that clash with God's law and his gospel. There are things that have set, it, set themselves up that, that oppose themselves to God and even in the church, we find those things. And these things undermine the abundant life in Christ Jesus that we are called to experience and live. 
And so here at Emmanuel, at least in this season, um, I want to encourage you to do a few things that we've kind of consistently been encouraging you to do uh, over the last months here. First of all, know God's law. Know it, study it, learn it. Know his word, not just the law, but the gospel too. Everything that is in the Bible is going to be beneficial for you to read and study and get to know better, okay? So read it, study it, learn it, memorize it, take it seriously. Build that time into your day, into your week, not just you alone, but with other people, with your family. If we want to know what God thinks, we have a whole lot of clues in the scriptures. The second thing is this. I encourage you to embrace the freedom of the gospel. We, we talked about this um, earlier this spring, but a lot of times, even in Christianity, we, we see the gospel, we hear the gospel, we receive the gospel, and then we live as if we're still under the bondage of sin. We don't experience the freedom that God wants us to experience in light of his mercy. And so I encourage you to embrace the freedom of the gospel. So the more we know God's word, the more we realize that we don't actually live up to it, yes, and that sometimes leads us to an unhealthy amount of shame, which I think we experience a lot of, and often people kind of get stuck in those ruts. But I encourage you not just to know your own shortfalls, but to know the grace and the promise of Jesus Christ, that your sins are forgiven, that that work is done, and that God's love compels him to not leave you there in that shame and in that sin. And then the third thing I want to encourage you to do revolves around prayer and humility. I encourage you to lean into and continue to ask God for a thriving life for yourself, for your family, for this church, for this community that we live in. God has not created us to be great at being mediocre and bored. So this is a prayer, and it's a general prayer, but it's also a specific prayer. God, how are you calling me to thrive in you? In light of your mercy, how are you calling me to thrive and to live accordingly? God, how are you calling my family to thrive in you? How are you calling this church family, Emmanuel, or whatever church you might be visiting from or part of, how are you calling this church family to thrive in you? I encourage you to continue to lean into this and to join many others of us here in discerning how God wants to grow us and challenge us in the coming days. So all that being said, we have a great reason to celebrate the Reformation every single year because we're part of it still today. God has not left us or forsaken us. And as long as the Spirit of God is moving in you and me in this place, he's going to be bringing about some good, holy change. God is still working to show you more of his love and grace, to show you more of Jesus' heart, more of his peace. And he's leading us into this mission and the work of God that he calls his people to as a church, to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth, to proclaim the good news to those who are lost. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love, and we thank you that you love us and you care for us, not in like a hands-off way from a distance, but in a real present way. Lord, we thank you for that promise, and we thank you that you do what you promised to do. 
And Lord, we thank you today for your law and for your gospel. We thank you, God, uh, for letting us know how our lives get fractured and pulled down and broken from sin. And we thank you, God, for making a way for us to experience hope and redemption through Jesus Christ. Lord, may we live in that freedom that knowing the gospel brings. May we live in the freedom of knowing you haven't just saved us from something, but you've created us for something. And I pray, Lord, that you would help each and every one of us uh, to realize and embrace the gifts that you have given us for the sake of your kingdom and your work, for the sake of our families, for the sake of our vocations, for the sake of our neighbors and our friends. Lord, everyone in this room has a calling and has a place in the kingdom of God. So, Lord, would you continue to reform us as you see fit? May it not be our work, but yours. And, Lord, may you continually keep on our hearts and our minds your great love for us. Change us. Have your way with us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.